0: The Onscript podcast, your home for
1: world-class conversations on scripture and theology, where you get to meet some of the best in the field. Visit us at onscript.study. Say hello on Twitter at Onscript Podcast, and stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Onscript. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Onscript Podcast, where we explore Bible and theology and the spaces in between them. I'm Matt Lynch, a co-host of the podcast with five others. I'm based at Westminster Theological Center in the UK, and I am joined by Matt Bates in Illinois, Drew Johnson in New York City, Aaron Heim in Oxford, Chris Tilling in London, Amy Brown Hughes in Boston. So that's the six of us now who co-host the podcast, and just as a reminder, we're a biblical studies-focused podcast, and we also are a theology-focused podcast now that Amy Brown-Hughes has joined us, so we have a theology stream that right now uh, puts out one episode a month and might increase in the future. So share the word if you, want, uh, if you like it and want to hear more of the theology uh, stream. We'd like to grow that side of the podcast as well. Enjoy this episode, and if I could ask you to give us a review on iTunes, uh, we'd all be grateful. Also, if you like what you hear, please share it on Twitter or Facebook, or uh, you know wherever else you, you like to share things Or let your postal worker know They've got all that time walking around all day And need some good theology and Bible to get them through um, Oh yeah, and also just an update on mugs We had talked about on-script mugs Like back before Christmas And uh, the update is we're working on it You'd think six theologians would be able to organize such a thing But alas Okay, enjoy the episode.
2: Welcome back to On Script, everyone. We've got a great episode lined up for you today. In the second century, Justin Martyr had a discussion with a Jew named Trypho in Ephesus, and later Justin worked this discussion into a literary treatise. Uh, We call that today the dialogue with Trifo. I'm going to read a passage from chapter 92 that pertains especially to the meaning of works of the law. Justin says this, speaking to Trifo. For as I have said earlier, you are distinguishable by no other means than by the circumcision of the flesh. Abraham indeed was considered just, not by reason of his circumcision, but because of his faith. For because of circumcision, it was... For before his circumcision, it was said of him, Abraham believed God, and it was reputed to him unto justice. We also, therefore, because of our, unbelie- of our belief in God through Christ, even though we are uncircumcised in the flesh, have sal- the salutary circumcision, namely that of the heart, and we thereby hope to be just and pleasing to God, since we have already obtained this testimony from him through the words of the prophets." But you Jews were ordered to observe the Sabbaths and make offerings, and you were allowed by God to erect a place in which he could be invoked, so that you might not worship idols and forget God, and thus become impious and godless, as indeed you always seem to have been. This is Matthew Bates hosting today, coming to you from Quincy, Illinois. I'm speaking with Matthew J. Thomas about that vexed category in Paul's theology, Works of the Law. Welcome to OnScript, Matthew. Thank you very much. Well, uh, Matthew Thomas has just released a stunningly important book, Paul's Works of the Law in the Perspective of Second-Century Reception, uh, published by Moore Ziebeck in their Wundt series in 2018. Uh it's uh, not just uh, I who think it's a stunningly important book. Uh, Scott McKnight has just named it one of his uh, a- a award-winning books for Jesus Creed for the year. Uh, so it's uh, a book that's already getting some good buzz. Folks aligned with the so-called new perspective on Paul and the old perspective are at loggerheads. Uh, there's good hope that Matthew Thomas's new book can help break the impasse. Now, Matthew, I I happened to catch you at SBL, and you were on a panel uh, for a session, and I was in the audience, and I went up afterwards to to thank you for your presentation, and we struck up a conversation. So I was trying to remember uh, if you were holding your book, since it pertained to your presentation, or what, uh, but as soon as I discovered your book's topic, I, I knew immediately that I wanted to read it i don't know if you remember the uh the setting at all but um i think what were you so i think what had
0: happened is i think that um i think i saw your name tag and i remembered that uh, my friend uh, bill reimer at the regent college bookstore had recommended your book to me and said hey this this book looks really great. You gotta go and you gotta go and pick, you know, pick it up. So I actually hadn't had to pick it up yet, but I remembered your name. And uh, and so I think I said to you, hey, uh, you're the Salvation by Allegiance Alone guy or something something to that effect. And I think that um, I can't remember how it went where it went from there, but I think that there was some recognition on, on, on your end, um, either of the either of what what I had written or uh, i I feel, you and know, i can't i can't recall exactly, um but I think it was actually if I remember correctly i think i I recognize uh by the name tag um, yeah
2: yeah got it got it so you um anyway uh so you obviously have been doing more work uh on uh, second century Christianity on works of law and and getting your your message out uh in support of your book. Uh, so that's great, and uh, certainly as soon as I, uh, one way or another, as soon as I found out that your topic was uh, works of the law in the second century, that sort of marries two of my personal interests, as I'm, I'm very interested in second century Christianity and also uh, uh, deba- debates about salvation theory. So uh, anyway, this book's your revised dissertation, um, and uh, it's a really an ideal uh, revised dissertation, right? Because uh, as a dissertation topic, you broke a lot of, theo- uh, of new ground, but on a very theologically significant and timely topic. Um, so I know some of our listeners at least are budding academics who are looking for good dissertation topics. Uh, how did you first conceive of this project? Then? <laughs>
0: That's a great question. So uh... I think probably as, uh, as, as most good dissertation topics are, I conceived of it by accident. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was actually at Regent College in my first semester there. Um, no, this is my second semester, my first year. And um, I came across this topic because uh, I had written, uh, before I came to Regent, I had gotten, I was interested in the new perspective on policy, I would gotten interested in uh, the work of NT Wright, and it was had found a lot of that to be to be valuable and helped me to make sense of of Paul in some ways that I hadn't been able to previously. And so this is you know kind of new old perspective stuff was already an in interest for me. And then uh, my first semester, I wrote a paper on justification for for JI Packer that looked at uh, looked at NT Wright's uh, work on uh, justification and uh, John Piper's, and sort of did an assessment of those back and forth, since that was so. Uh, gosh this would have been 2010 so it was it's still fairly fairly recent uh, debates that were going on at that point point. and so then for the next semester I was um, I was writing a paper that was going to be looking at the question of works of the law because um, right for the original thing that actually got got me into this whole topic was uh, just listening to a uh, a lecture i think just in my car uh when i was dra- driving around from from tom wright where he was talking about in a certain instance you know we didn't know how to i think it was about faith of christ or he didn't know how to translate his faith or faithfulness because it's the same word and for me that was the starting point of, of everything because growing up i had always i always been taught that you know you kind of have you know faith on one side and you know works as you know whether it's a Whether it's obedience or uh, or fidelity or whatever happens to be, that's that's sort of the the, you know that's an antonym. Those are the those are opposite sides. So hearing that faith and faithfulness were actually the the same word in Greek, I I just I just blew my mind. I didn't have any idea what to what to do with it. Um, which I think probably has some some parallels with your own experiences. So I immediately said, "Gosh, I got to learn Greek." And so I started trying to learn Greek, and then ended up at, at Regent. And so ha- with that foundation of okay, so if faith and faithfulness are the same word, then what um, what Paul means by pistis must be more robust than just some sort of intellectual assent. There has to be uh, it's, it's got to be a, something something more robust than that if I'm going to make sense of this. Uh, in its original context. And so then the the question that follows is, well, what does he mean by works of the law then? What is he actually trying to set in antithesis, um, you know, to Pistis, to this faith or faithfulness, or if, if we follow your reading, which I think is a good one, if we, you know, allegiance. Um, and so I was I was writing a paper on this, and it was going to be just an old and new perspective, um, you know, assessment in relation to the biblical text on the, the question of works of the law. And so as part of the research for this, I uh, had opened up Calvin's commentary on Romans and uh, from taking Dr. Packer's class, um, I had a chance to read you know, a fair bit of Calvin and so I'd gotten accustomed to just what he's like as a writer and the way that rhetorically he, he tends to operate, uh, especially on, you know, on important uh, polemical questions. And so um, I, I opened, uh, I was reading his, his Romans commentary And uh, I saw that on this question, he says, you know, it's a matter of doubt, even amongst the learned, what the works of the law mean. And then he proceeds to cite some some church fathers against his own position and uh, doesn't go and doesn't cite any church fathers in favor of his own position. And I I stood there in the Regent Library thinking to myself, this is very strange uh, because I had never, I'd never come across any sort of important question where Calvin hadn't cited church fathers in his favor um, when they happen to be there and you know even even in issues i think where you can say it's disputed whether you know the given church father actually agrees fully with him uh they're always there he's always bringing them as allies and so seeing that he doesn't bring any of them uh you know when he's when he's presenting his own position and even augustine he goes and contrasts his, his position from i just sat there thinking gosh this is really really interesting I wonder if you looked, you know, in the earliest you know, earliest church fathers, the, the sources that are closest to Paul, I wonder, I wonder what they would say in works of the law, and I wonder how that would match up uh, with what you're finding in these old and new perspectives. And so I immediately just, just jumped back on my computer and started doing some searching. Um, I think that the, the first sources that I looked in uh, were Diognetus, uh, the dialogue, in, uh, dialogue with Trifo, um, Irenaeus' is Against Heresies, and then Origins' Commentary on Romans. And in finding all this stuff, it sounds exactly like what Tom Wright's doing. And I was just, just astonished. And so I, I sent my my professor an email real quick and said, hey, is it okay if I change my paper topic? And um, spent you know a couple of days uh, going, revising it, and you know, writing this new paper, which then became uh, an article and then was the seed for the dissertation. And the dissertation itself is just, you know, a larger, larger version of it. Um, so I guess to return to the, to the original question, hey, how did you, how'd you come across this? It was, it was by accident. Um, but I guess it was, uh, hopefully it was, a, you know, a diligent sort of accident where from my standpoint, I was, I was really trying to get inside Calvin's, you know, Calvin's reasoning and to understand how works of the law, you know, function from his standpoint and then, just in doing so, I just thought, boy, this this bit doesn't match up with what I've read from Calvin elsewhere. There's something that really stands out here, and so that was that was the clue that there could be something to to work on.
2: Yeah, that's great. It, it, what a what a fortuitous accident. Um, and, but I think that's sort of a model for how it should be, right? That we should be like you know doing diligent research and then. Uh, we have a, a moment of insight, you know, and then we pursue it and find there's actually something there. The reality is is the, the vast majority of dissertation topics are, are uh, usually suggested by the dissertation supervisor. Uh, and uh, I think that's oftentimes why they're, they're difficult sometimes as the graduate student has trouble, you know, getting into it. Uh, and they don't have the same passion for it that their dissertation supervisor has. And so they languish. They have trouble writing. They don't, they don't they have the difficult time finishing. So it is much better if you can have your own topic like that. And I, I think that's sort of a you know you're a role model to us all in terms of how it should be done then
0: well absolutely i mean i think i think that i mean one i'm just i'm really thankful that i've come across the topic um that for me was you know was really was really important where i just genuinely really wanted to know the answer and um and so i mean the I mean, yeah, the, the dissertation. I mean, if it, you know, if it has value, it's in part just because I, I want to know this for myself, and then having, um, you know, having having learned from from the early sources, just want to be able to share share it with others because I found the material to be, uh, you know, tremendously helpful. So, um, and I guess the the other thing is, you know, credit to to Jim Packer for having us read primary sources. Um, you know, if I hadn't if I hadn't spent a whole lot of time in Calvin. I wouldn't have had the eyes to see uh, to see what was distinctive about what um, what he says and doesn't say in that Romans commentary, and so um, so yeah credit credit to Jim for having us having us do original sources. Well, let me uh, let me introduce you a little
2: more fully. Uh, Matthew J. Thomas is the author of Paul's Works of the Law in the Perspective of Second Century Reception with Morzibek that we're discussing today. He holds uh, D. Phil in theology, New Testament and Patristics from the University of Oxford. He has served as a visiting assistant professor of sacred scripture at St. Patrick's Seminary and is currently a visiting scholar at Franciscan University and a distant instructor in theology with Regent College. Matthew and his wife, Leanne, met as MCS students at Regent, and I've got to say hooray for Regent. I, I also have an MCS from Regent in Biblical Studies, so we we have a kind of a common heritage in that way. Uh, and uh, Matthew has two children. Prior coming to coming to Regent, Matthew studied at Pepperdine and worked at Harbor House Ministries, an after-school program for youth in Oakland. Well, let's get into your book a little bit more, um, and as a way of framing— um, um, you've already kind of alluded to some of the basic um, basic dynamics of um, kind of the old perspective and the new, but maybe we could flesh that out a little bit further, and especially think in terms of uh, if you were to, to t- t- sort of say, take this uh, largely academic debate, right, uh, to the streets uh, in terms of why would this be of interest to pastors and church leaders everywhere, uh, what, what's at stake in this uh, debate as it pertains to old and new perspectives and
0: the role of the works of the law in it? Hmm. Ah, uh, great question. So, uh, if you look, I mean, I think for for a lot of Christianity, um, the I, I would say Scripture as a whole often ends up being read through the lens of the Pauline antithesis of justification by faith apart from works of the law. Um, that's certainly not the you know the case everywhere, uh, but definitely in a lot of contexts, you're sort of reading it all. All of Scripture through that lens, and it kind of sets your interpretive framework. So, um, so it's important to get to get that right. And if you're looking at the three terms there, so justification, faith, works of the law, um, they're all all three of them are actually disputed uh, in some ways. And so, I know your work has looked at faith, uh, which I mean, I, I mean, I just just alluded to as well, and how seeing that. Um, you know, the Greek term that's there has a you know a more a more robust quality to it that uh, the word belief often just just doesn't doesn't do a great job of expressing or capturing. Um, so all three of those terms are are you know are disputed in, in some way. Um, the way you understand works of the law is going to I think necessarily influence what you understand uh, both by faith and by justification and. So, getting setting this um, setting the, the the antithesis, I, I would say, is, as precisely as you can is is important. Um, if you to summarize. Um, you know, briefly, what's the old perspective and what's the new perspective on works of the law? That- oh, great. That's, that was my next question anyway.
2: So, uh, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so my next question was, in defining the old perspective, you, you know, you examine the works of law and Luther, Calvin, uh, Boltmann and Moo. What unites those four? Um, so uh, maybe we, you can sort of just segue right into that then.
0: Yeah, that's great. So um, if, if you're looking at the old perspective, uh, so, again, my uh, in, in in the book I, I, I do uh, do Luther, Calvin, uh, and then two uh, modern representatives of the, the Lutheran Reformed traditions, and so I I picked uh, uh, Boltman and Doug Mu for this. Um, works of the law are understood. Uh, you can say the emphasis is on works uh, when it comes to works of the law. So works of the law are understood. As good works in general, um, they're understood as you know. You can say uh, this. There's all kinds of phrases that that get used for it. So I mean, any any works at all, but often uh, kind of you know moral effort, uh, self powered striving is a, is a phrase that you know that the Boltman use uses. Um, you know, working or doing in general is uh, one of the one of the ways that um, uh, that that Mu goes and describes it. Um, but basically, any anything that you do, any any kind of action at all, uh, can be a work of the law, and so that's really what uh, what Paul is trying to uh, to to target as, you know as human actions or, or doing in general, and to and setting that in uh in in the in antithesis to you know to to faith and so uh the content of it so so actual meaning it can really be any worse at all the 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 different old perspective representatives um, they they sometimes will will root these debates more in the context of the jew gentile and uh discussions that paul is in and um and have, you know, at least the immediate reference being the Torah. But the tendency is to want to abstract from that and just say, no, this is really any, anything at all. And so Luther will say, you know, you can go and, uh, you know, uh, expand the works of the law as much as, as much as possible. So, you know, a monk is not, uh, is not justified by his, bow, his vows and so on. Um, and then the significance of it, what, is, what does it mean to go and do this? Well, you're trying to earn salvation. And so it's understood on an individualistic basis. Um, so you as an individual are trying to do sufficient works to be accepted by God, to be justified by God. Um, and so that's, that's, that's the way that works. Um, you're trying to, uh, you know, earn, earn as many points as, you know, as possible. Uh, and then, then that goes. And I think the, the sense of faith then that you have from that is, I, I would say, um, is, is is a it's a passive element. If works is active, if it's doing, then believing then is going to be something that is 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 passive. Um, I think just by, by necessity, it has to be something like that. Uh, these these two terms are often uh, not not precisely defined. I remember, um, you know, in, uh, in, in in John Piper's book on uh, on justification, where he's he's critiquing uh, Tom, Tom Wright's work. I remember when I was writing a paper on it, one of the things I found challenging is that the, the word faith actually isn't defined there at all. Uh, it's described in a couple of instances. And so he says, you know, it's, it's entirely passive. It looks away yes, from itself. I remember that phrase. Yes, but, um, but it doesn't actually de- define entirely it. Entirely
2: receptive, I think, is actually maybe the language you use. Is, yeah, um, yeah. Just, it's, it's purely received or that will be the language used. Yeah.
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. So anyway, so it's a, uh, I mean, it's, it's a good example of, of the, way, the way that it functions. From the the new perspective standpoint, um, works of the law are understood as specifically uh, the works of the Torah. So, uh, pertaining to a particular law, and within these, there are certain works that they identify as recurring. So, circumcision, Sabbath, food laws. Um, Often, the other parts of the law, I would say that there can be some gray area as to amongst the different new perspective uh, proponents of the. Uh, the degree to which or how these can function as words of the law. Um, but the main difference, so you have, you know, it's, it's not good works in general, and they distinguish the category of good or moral works um, from the category of works of the law. And then the significance of practicing them isn't to go into, you know, to earn sufficient, to surf, earn to sufficient merit or sufficient points to be justified by, by God. What one does by practicing the Torah, by being circumcised, um, Observing the food laws, uh, observing the Sabbath. What what you do in this? It's not individualistic. It's corporate. You're you're doing this to be part of the chosen nation, the Jews. If you if you become circumcised, you become a Jew. You don't earn you know merit points on an individual basis for it. And so the the way the argument runs is that um, the uh, there's no. From, from, from the standpoint of, of Paul's arguments, uh, you do not need to become a Jew in order to be accepted by God, to be justified by God. Uh, it's, it's, it's not necessary. And the example that Paul then would go, go back to, if you're following the, the New Perspective reading, uh, is Abraham, because, of course, he's, he's justified uh, by God. Uh, before he received circumcision, before Moses is around, before there's any of the Mosaic law. Um, If you have that then, then a a more robust um, account of what what faith is, um, again, which corresponds pretty directly with your work, uh, I think makes sense and you can have uh, you can have some sense of it, and so there's a uh you can say what what Abraham is doing at least again according to the, the new perspective reading isn't isn't simply uh, you know a passive receptive um thing it's 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 more it's more than that there is a fidelity that marks Abraham, which is then the model for for uh you know both for for subsequent you know, subsequent jews and and Christians as well
2: yeah that's very helpful um and uh I, I think you you sort of have you've chosen the, the leading usual suspects and nothing wrong in doing that and in selecting, uh, you know, Ed Sanders, Jimmy Dunn and Tom Wright as your Your representatives of new perspective voices, and I think one of the uh, you've you've done a masterful job, I think in this interview and in the book, at telling us what kind of unites the three, and that it's really an emphasis on works of law, with the emphasis being more on the law part. Um, I thought you did something really helpful, though, and I don't know that I'd seen anyone else lay it out in quite this way, and in speaking about um, what is different about them, especially in terms of how they explain why Paul um, felt that uh, works of the law were objectionable. Sanders, uh, you sort of delineated him focusing on experience done on social exclusion and right for covenantal reasons. Um,
0: could you tease that out a little bit more for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this this actually carries for both, both the old and new perspective um, because I mean, one of the things that was surprising to me um, in you know, in, in researching and writing this, was how much variety there is in both the old and new perspective. I think I had some sense within the new perspective that there was diversity as far as the way that the, the reasoning and logic works with respect to works of the law. For myself, I was actually surprised when I when I you know when I read Luther and you know really really got into to his head and followed the logic and got into Calvin, just how different they are on the you know the the, the reason for for why works of the law are problematic so um i mean i can start there you know if, if you want because i just find it fascinating uh for for luther you have the argument that okay no one can go and you know observe the works of the law sufficiently um you know no it's it's human inability there's an anthropological you know problem uh you can't do enough works to be justified before god then he goes on and has a second category which is well works wouldn't wouldn't justify anyway even if you did do them because you know it's it's faith that justifies but then he has a third argument and it's the third one that really seems to be the key one for him that to actually try to be justified by works of the law is itself the epitome of sin it's it's actually the worst thing that you can do um because only Christ saves. And so if if only Christ saves and you're trying to be saved by observing the works of the law, then what you're doing is you're practicing self-idolatry. You're you're putting yourself in Christ's place. And so there's a really interesting passage where he goes and he looks at uh, Jesus' uh, you know prophecies and what is it, I believe it's matthew twenty four where he says you know many will come in that day saying, I am he and will be the imitators of the messiah from from Luther's standpoint, this is actually fulfilled whenever anyone tries to be justified by doing good works they themselves are becoming the, the false messiahs and so he he identifies this as the as the epitome of sin. Um, I don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can follow that exegetically, but gosh, it's fascinating. It's, it's really, really interesting. And, um, and Calvin gets nowhere near that. Um, and so when you're reading Calvin, you have the first category of, of human inability, but it, it really goes and stays there. He doesn't problematize um, the attempt to be justified by works um, nor does the problematize, you know, the conceptually being justified at works. The problem is just, hey, nobody can do it. And so you need someone to do it in your stead. Um, and that I think that's reflected both in um, both in, in Boltman and in Mu. Um, and when, you, when you're reading both Boltman and Mu, you can see, gosh, there is. The, the, the really substantial differences between Luther and Calvin on this question, that you can see them both reflected um, in, in each of those representatives, which I just, I find fascinating. Uh, when it comes to the, to the new perspective, um, you're, you're right, there is a, uh, even, even when they're saying, hey, these are the points in question, so, you know, this is the, it's about the Torah, it's about these particular works, it's about whether or not you have to, to be a Jew or not, um, in order to be, you know, part of, uh, you know, of God's God's people, uh, the logic does work quite differently, and so Sanders' logic is basically experiential, and so he is saying that uh, Paul's arguments are driven fundamentally by uh, Paul's own experiences and the experiences of his congregation, and so the experience of the congregations in receiving the, you know, the Spirit apart from. Uh, you know, having adopted the Torah, having become Jews, but then Paul's own experiences, and so his own self-understanding. And so, uh, you know, Paul is, he is called as the apostle to the Gentiles. He has this experience. And so this means that he has to then go to the Gentiles. And so because of that, works of the law have to sort of be you know they, they they have to be cut cut out. They ha- they can't really be part of the picture because I've I've got to go to the Gentiles. I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, and so there is a uh, I, I mean that the reasoning I think um, it it comes across when you're reading Sanders. Uh, Paul seems like he's he's making a lot of sort of you know post facto ad hoc arguments, uh, but that's just from Sanders' standpoint. That's that seems to be the way that uh, it you know it, it makes sense according according to him. Of yeah, the very famous solution to plight, sort of a move that he made, <laughs> as it's usually described, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so that's I, I think that experience is the key category according to um, according to Sanders. With Dunn, it seems to be uh, you know exclusivity. It's it's this attitude of exclusivity or exclusivism. Um, I, I can I confess when I was reading uh, Jim, Jimmy's works and going through all this stuff, I. I think that of all the sections, um, I think that the the done one was the most difficult to write just because I think that, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy has done so much work on this in the past, gosh, since 1982. He's written so much on this. And um, in some ways, I, I find he's maybe been a, a bit of a moving target uh, just as far as... Um, you know, he, he has the original, uh, 1982 lecture and then there's critiques of that. Then he goes and responds to those critiques and there's just kind of, you know, back and forth. And so I, I wasn't, I wasn't always certain as, you know, as I was first getting into it, like. That I was, I was completely capturing it. But um, I've had a chance to uh, to get to know Jimmy some. Actually, who I, I really, I mean, I really appreciate. It. And um, as I was going through, it seemed as though the the exclusivism, the social function of excluding, and you know, Jimmy's happy to use the modern language of excluding the other. Um, that that's that's the heart of what Paul's getting at. That's the heart of what the problem is. Um, of works of the law that uh, these particular works are being used by jews uh, to go and to exclude gentiles and that's the thing that 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 needs to be objected to and set an antithesis uh, to faith that's the thing that you know excluding someone else can never be the basis for your own your own justification um and so because of that it's interesting there's actually Um, It actually makes it so that uh, Jimmy can go and expand the category of works of the law in a way that's has analogy to what the old perspective does. It's just, instead of expanding it to any sort of you know, good, good works that you do to justify yourself, um, he can go and say, these actually can works a lot can be expanded to any contemporary sort of issues that are used to go and exclude believers from one another. So whether it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, he gives biblical inerrancy as one or uh, papal infallibility or male headship, or views on you know abortion or things like that he, he says these can actually be worse of a lot too if you go and say these are used to exclude exclude others um so that's that's um that's that's dunn's reasoning which again is you can see that boy that's it's pretty distinct from what uh what what sanders is doing and then rights is is covenantal so it's rooted in the covenant and so uh, you know the, the, the basically takes takes the Old Testament site and says this this provides your your answers uh, for what it is that, that Paul is doing, um, and so which is I would I would say is in contrast to uh, to, to Sanders' reading. Sanders a- again he 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 doesn't find Paul's Old Testament exegesis to be consistent. And Wright really objects to that and says, no, this, this is is this consistent. This does work. And so um, the, from, from Wright's standpoint, the way the reasoning works is that um, the promises to Abraham are, you know, they're meant for, for all the families, all the tribes of the earth. So they have this universal scope. Um, and so that's, it's meant to be for all people. So the, Jew, the Jew-Gentile dividing line can't be a permanent thing. Um, but then the law itself doesn't doesn't go and solve things it doesn't actually go and uh, the problem of of Adam that Abraham is you know and, and his and his seed are supposed to be the solution to isn't actually solved by the Torah and so uh, you need you need something else you need something more you know uh, deeper than that it doesn't, doesn't doesn't actually work um, and he sees Christ as actually going and fulfilling those those covenant promises um, and inaugurating the new age in which uh, you know promises that Abraham has been fulfilled the spirit's been been poured out, and the dividing line between Jew and Gentile is no longer necessary um anyway I know the the answers to these are supposed to be a little shorter than that
2: uh, No, that's okay no I think that was it's a really helpful portion of your book and I'm glad you 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 teased that out for us further yeah i I do think that um yeah, it's, it's a helpful heuristic to sort of divide in that way, although I think also, um, I think you would acknowledge, too, that it, you're, you're talking about emphases, right? Dunn certainly has some some covenantal emphasis in his material, too, but maybe it's not uh, where his weight of energy finally lands. Exactly. Maybe it's more on social exclusion. Exactly. So it's not to say that Dunn doesn't have a covenantal interest or that, it, that Sanders totally neglects it, but that Wright seems to front that more. Um, and then ultimately, you're going to find that that's uh, what we find the second century uh, fathers do as well. Exactly. Um, let's, uh, as we've done some heavy hitting stuff, let's, let's do a speed round and just lighten things yeah. up a little bit before we circle back into the book. So uh, the idea with the speed round is uh, you just give me short answers, like 15 seconds, um, and you, you don't get to defend your answer. <laughs> you, just, you, just tell me, you just tell me what you think. All right. That's great. Um,
0: all right. So do, do you believe in ghosts? Uh, do I believe in ghosts? Probably, in some form or fashion. <laughs> is
2: there is there intelligent alien life elsewhere in the universe?
0: Gosh, i I would say no, except I read so much C. S. Lewis, and he seems consistently to be open to the idea. And so, uh, because I tend to defer to Lewis in almost everything, I'm going to say perhaps, if not Lewis. probably.
2: Okay, Lewis has single handedly like persuaded you. That's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Uh, you walk up to the bar- bartender and order
0: what? Oh, wow. Um, I, I tend to have pretty, um, pretty cheap taste when it comes to, to, to alcohol. So if it was a bartender, it would probably be a white Russian. Um, but more likely, I wouldn't actually be at a bar. I would be at home with friends and we'd probably be drinking malt liquor.
2: Okay. Well, when you said cheap, I thought you were going to say PBR or something. You know, no, so, it's uh,
0: <laughs> che- cheaper than PBR sometimes. Okay. Wow, that's too
2: expensive for your taste. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, what's the What's the most important theology or biblical studies book
0: of the last fifty years? It's a hard question to ask a guy who's thirty three. Um, <laughs> I so I don't want to show my cards too much with this, but. The one that's coming to mind, uh, because of accessibility, is Wright's book on justification. I think, I think it's simple and does a lot of good. A lot of good stuff. So nobody else is going to say that that book is the most important one, but it's the one that people can understand It gets a lot right. Sorry, I'm giving you justification. I apologize. Yeah, yeah no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, what's a trend in society that scares you? I was at the zoo a couple of days ago and they wouldn't give me a lid to put on uh, my hot chocolate um, because it was going to be bad for the environment and of course I have uh, I mean it was it was me and my wife and my, my folks and then our two kids one of whom was four and a half the other one uh, just turned a year and the idea that we're gonna be walking around with four hot chocolates which are quite hot and <laughs> And the the safest thing to do, you know, the best, the best solution to the situation is uh, to have no lids. Um, Just seems like a recipe for disaster. You're just going to end up with a lot of a lot of hot chocolate burns. So we escaped unscathed, but only barely, and that frightens me. Uh, What's something you find embarrassing? Something I find embarrassing that is, um, I am, I'm pretty atrocious at bowling. Um, I'm pretty bad at bowling. I'm not. I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I'm pretty bad at it. I remember one time I was in middle school and my grandma came to visit me from Mississippi, and we went bowling. and She bowled. I think she had like it was like a sixty one, and I bowled a five. <laughs> and I was. Wow. I was not. I'm. I'm I'm real. I'm really competitive, so I wasn't trying to lose or anything like that. I was genuinely. I didn't want to lose a my gram. Okay. I Okay, you, you're legit bad. That's um, bad. That's true. Five. I think. Okay, I see why you're <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> so I can, I can often make it into the hundreds these days. If, you know, if I go, but I mean, usually I'll just say let's let's just go play. I mean, golf that's that's that's
2: true. I mean, if I was that, I mean, I, you know, I might say nose hair or something. But if I was that bad at bowling, maybe I would go with bowling. I don't know. All right. Well, we'll maybe do another speed round later. We'll see. We'll see what time allows. But uh, l- let's keep going on. Uh, let's keep g- going a little bit with your book here. Then, um, so your your angle is obviously reception history of Paul, um, and uh, you're looking at, at works of law, and uh, you might you might find somebody who's going to object to this approach, right? And uh, they might say, you know, what what are you what are you doing, Matthew Thomas? What are you thinking? Uh, why would we look at early church history? Uh, the Bible alone is our authority, uh, not early church tradition. Um, so uh, your study is completely worthless to me. Um, how are you going to respond to this antagonist um, who does not like your um, who doesn't think there's any value in in what you're doing? Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, that's a great question. I do I do run into stuff like that sometimes. Um, I would say that the person who I would be talking to um, is usually. Not going to be consistent in that position, and so often what I do is I just if I if I encounter something like that, you know, I try to say, okay, well, you know, what what do you take to be authoritative, and why? And um, so if you know, if the answer is well, it's, I take you know, take the Bible. Well, then kind of response to that is well, the reason that we have these particular these particular texts, you know, both the, the texts themselves um as far as you know the the words and letters that are on the page and the uh you know and then also the tradition of reading this particular set of set of books and not others in this order is because we're you know we're, we're following tradition we're following what you know these earliest christians pass pass along to us and we're we're taking them as you know as authoritative um and so if we if we do take the bible itself we that's that's something that we receive from god through the hands of the early church now that doesn't necessarily mean that in some sort of um kind of blind and unquestioning way that you necessarily have to just follow everything that the early church goes you know set, says and does but it is to acknowledge that you're already taking um you know the early church as an authority in receiving these particular texts um, and then, in following the reading tradition of following, you know, these particular ones, not others, and you know, re- reading them in this in this this way. Um, other folks, you know, I I find that there is, um, you know, if 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 I'm if I'm talking to somebody from you know from the Reformed tradition, for for example, um, you can you can do this somewhat with 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 people from Lutheran traditions too. But Luther tends. He, I mean, he often is, he seems almost happy to sort of dispense with, you know, the the broad swaths of, 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 of Christian history. Um, and then he will then go and frustrate his you know, his, his opponents when he goes and um, then appeals to that history and says, no, you know, this is, I mean, the obvious example is, you know, on the Eucharist. He goes and says, hey, for 15 centuries, you know, everybody's said, this is my body and understood this to be his body. How could you, you know, Zwingli, uh, you know, go and say that, you know, the whole church forever has been wrong, uh, to which, you know, I guess Zwingli's, you know, rejoinder is, is probably, well, you, you're sort of doing something like that with justification. I thought that's sort of, I thought that's sort of the, you know, the modus operandi here. Uh, so, so Luther, you, you can do this some, but I think with Calvin, because he has a higher view of the early tradition. It's not, um, it's not uniform if you're following his writings, but in general, he tends to see his project as one that is restoring the church to the pure vision that it had in the early centuries. And so you can find you can find some comments that, that from him that go and say, hey, you know, the first five hundred years this is this kind of pure, unblemished period that he wants to go and use as a model for you know for the church going, going forward which is i mean is you know it's quite expansive i believe he he goes all the way up to to gregory the great if i'm not not mistaken um if you look in the 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 controversy with with satellite um it's clear that he's not saying hey Everybody just going, you know, follow me. My name, my name is John Calvin, and I'm, I'm the greatest thing in the universe. Everybody just needs to do what, do what I say, um, regardless of whether or not he thinks that, which I think is probably an unfair caricature. What what he's what he goes and says, and I and I genuinely think he he believes. He says that you know all we have tried to do is restore the church to the ancient form that it held, and so when he's countering satellite, he just basically says these are all innovations of, of later ages and we want to get back to that ancient pure form well that ancient pure form uh, both includes the you know the the, the early church fathers the early, the early christians um you know in the you know the first first couple centuries and even if you you don't want to include them and say no it's that the pure ancient form is just the apostolic period just the new Testament age if nothing else, these are your closest witnesses that you would have to that. Um, and if you, in, in general, you know uh, Calvin's view of the tradition, uh, particularly the early tradition, is is quite high. He wants he wants that to be. Um, not 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 a primary authority, and sometimes not even a secondary authority. But I, I don't think secondary authority is is an unfair or an inaccurate way to describe the way he understands early tradition. And so and then you can go and say, hey, if you if you want to be a good student of of John Calvin, um, this material is important and it's it's significant. If I mean, if you're looking at the sources that you know I engage in this, um, I have a bit at the end where I, I just briefly dwell on how. Um, with the material that'm i 'm engaging here it doesn 't appear to have been available to either luther or calvin um,
2: yeah no, that 's an important insight i think that 's oftentimes neglected by people who who want to champion the reformed period you know without um, without really being sufficiently critical is that the the apostolic fathers weren't published they didn't have access to uh, they didn't have access to barnabas they didn't have act, a- access to ignatius in terms of it, at least what we would understand to be um, uh, the seven letters that are received today in an unmodified way, right? As there was a, a complex interpolation tradition with the Ignatian letters, and nor do they have access to Justin Martyr, um, and so the lack of access to the earliest fathers, nor for Clement of Rome, you know, um, all these were not available to the to the um, to the reformers, nor were they available to the to the Catholic Church at Trent, um, and so a lot of the 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 sort of the bad blood between Catholics and Protestants that was spilled 500 years ago, right, was done without access to the, the documents that could best allow us to reconstruct the time period right after the New Testament and to weigh these matters. Um, and that 's why what you 're doing is so important right is that uh, it's it 's one of the it 's probably the most neglected piece of the puzzle I think there have, there have been a number of studies that have looked at justification in the second century uh, that that have looked uh, at faith beyond uh, the time period just of the New Testament, uh, but not really much has been done um, to look at specifically works of law there 's been studies in Second Temple Judaism, uh, studies in the New Testament itself, endlessly. Right, but to go beyond that and look at what uh, the early fathers um, had to say about this um, gives us uh, gives us new data that was not available at that time period, and um, and I think that's something that many people just don't understand about uh, about history. Yeah,
0: no, I think it's it's a really important point you make, and I think you know if if I'm looking at specifically Luther and Calvin, I I don't I don't know. I don't know how much my material would make a difference to luther um it depends on sort of which (laughs) it depends on which parts of luther you're reading because uh there are i mean luther of course does have you know he has a conservative bent in a lot of ways um but he also he's also happy to dispense with with the tradition of interpretation um in in a number of areas as as well which is uh, I mean, which is really—it's really, really striking—and in, in, when you're when you're reading him, uh, it's part of what makes him such such a such a lively read. And so I I you know I'll go back and forth on which part of Luther I'm reading. As far as the way that this early historical material would would make a difference for him, because I think that the the way that the way that his reasoning works, um, I, I I'm just I'm not I'm not certain with. Yeah, with it's-
2: yeah, it's hard to say, I mean, because his, his fundamental insight, you know, of, of justification by faith and the, the absolute contrast with any kind of doing that sort of flows from that, right? I mean, would he have ever come to that antithesis if he, if he would have recognized that he couldn't extrapolate from works of the law to any kind of work in general?
0: <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, I mean, a really fundamental one for this is um, uh, one of the things that this, this study finds is the, the idea of Christ— as you know, if Christ is the prophet like Moses, well, Moses is the lawgiver, and so the prophet like Moses is going to be and giving the covenant. He's going to give the new law as well, and so Christ as the new lawgiver is just one of these things that's ubiquitous. If you're looking um, in in the first couple centuries you know, of Christianity, and that that idea itself is so. Um, it's, it's so anathema to Luther. Luther, in so many places, in such strong language, uh, rules out the idea of Christ as a lawgiver and says, I mean, basically, you need to separate Christ from Moses as far as possible and separate and completely rule out the idea of Christ as a lawgiver. You know, he's the savior. He's not the lawgiver. Um, and he's so explicit in doing that that you just think, gosh, I don't really know. It's hard to see how you could, how you could take that paradigm and integrate this material uh, in there because it's so insistent. No, Christ, he he is the new lawgiver. He if he institutes the new covenant, uh, he, he gives the new law, law and covenant go together. So with with Luther, I I I just go back and forth on how this material would um would would would, would influence his thought. With with Calvin, I would say it it's a somewhat different picture because he does take He does take that you know the early tradition so seriously um he's not he's not somebody who wants to dispense with it um and you know if you're reading the commentary on romans you could tell he's he's put in an uncomfortable position um in not being able to call any witnesses to his side from the patristic era when it comes to works of the law and he still goes and does it but it's not something that he does with great enthusiasm and the, the, the other the other areas where he goes and has to do this and uh, the, the example that comes to me is um, when he's looking uh, so uh, so book two of the Institutes one through five uh, he's he's you know looking at you know looking at free will the idea of free will and just basically says look most of the church has just been really confused on this from from the beginning and then you know also goes goes to Augustine and says actually Obviously, he's probably the closest to writing this, but even he doesn't completely get this right, and so he's not he, he he will go and distinguish himself from the preceding tradition when he when he has to, but he doesn't do it with any great enthusiasm. And I think because because these sources, um, yeah, Tony Lane has done some good work on this and showing the uh, the patristic sources that were available to Calvin. It appears that Irenaeus that he uh, I want to say it was around the third revision of the Institutes. Uh, that uh, he he got access to the works of Irenaeus and he he incorporates some of against heresies you know here here and there, uh, but basically uh, everything prior to Irenaeus he, he it seems as though he doesn't have access to which is what this whole this whole this whole book is and even Irenaeus seems to have come in uh, come in at a later stage in his own theological development and so I, be, because because his view of tradition I think is. It is consistently, you know, higher and of the, you know, the early church as a model. It's at least for me is worth asking the question: how how this have influenced his his thinking if he had access to these sources?
2: Yeah, I really like that, um, and I really liked your insight into um, the law of Christ as being a really important motif that we see uh, in the patristic period, um, early patristic period, talking about. Um, um The reason why the the Mosaic law is no longer binding, um, and that you sort of you note that it 's interesting that this doesn 't seem to have been a major motif in uh, either old or new perspective discussions um, and I think you 're right i mean we 're starting to see some of that get picked up. I wonder uh, for instance, what josh Jip uh, uh, would make of this i don 't know if you 've had a chance to read his christ is king uh, book, but he speaks a lot about this about Christ. Uh, as the lawgiver and and looks at ancient patterns of kingship, uh, and that a good king embodied his own law um, and there's some There's some interesting things to think about about Christ as the lawgiver uh, as the one who lives out the allegiant pattern of life for us as sort of the one who blazes the trail, uh, who exercises pistis right, and then uh, enacts his his new covenant principles. Um, and that the good king is the one who embodies his own law. It's a a powerful motif, I think, um, and Josh has done some good work there. But yeah, I I wonder if you're going to be, if you have some more angles um, you're hoping to um, to move forward um, from your work. And I mean, obviously, your major conclusions um, are that uh, that the early conception of the works of the law uh, are, are primarily, this is the Mosaic law that we're talking about. Uh, it's not uh, that every part of the Mosaic law is equally foregrounded, um, but clearly those who received Paul in the second century understood circumcision, fasting, kosher laws, uh, to be uh, what were paramount in the in the law in terms of works of the law, um, and that this can't be equated cannot be equated with moral effort or moral striving or good deeds in general. That the move that the move that is made that says that when Paul talks about works or works of the law, that what he means is any kind of good deed. Uh, that those who received Paul in the second century do not agree with that, um, and uh, and so anyway, yeah, you've obviously um, you've done a very fine study here. And uh, and I think you've opened up probably some new avenues. Um, where do you see your, your work going from here? Do you do you have a trajectory that you want to move down next?
0: Oh boy, it's a great question. <laughs> um, so I, um, I I've, I've a couple couple things working on. Um, the so actually one of the, one of the one of the big influences for this project early on was uh, was Alistair McGrath. I had a chance. He came to regent in 2011 and uh, our friend uh, don lewis one of the professors there uh set up a meeting with him and it was great I was, I was just walking around at regent and he says uh he just finds me at the stairs and says hey uh you're meeting with alistair at 11 and i said i'm doing what because <laughs> I've, I've just finished my first year you know at, at regent but uh i think uh, don, uh, don don's a great friend and he um, I think he saw the the potential in this, this, this topic and which I had, i had been talking about potentially writing a you know, dissertation on. And so, um, so I had a chance to, to meet with Alistair and, uh, talk to him about this idea and he said, you know, uh, you, it's hard to find an original idea, but I would actually be really interested in seeing what you come up with. So by all means go and do it and let me know, let me know what happens. And so, um, so, so I mean that was that was you know part of the encouragement to go go forward with this, and then in the process of doing this, I um, had a chance to, uh, to 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 work with him um, and uh, to work with him in revising the Eustitia Day book um, because uh, you know in, in talking with him, uh, the early sections of this of of, of his book um, are I mean it, it, he I mean he just basically you know said to me like. You know, I wrote these in you know in 1982 when I when I first did this, and it was a lot of it was based on secondary secondary scholarship, uh, which was you know itself flawed in some ways, and so he's he's taking these you know his primary source stuff and incorporating it into his his own work, and so uh, it's, so so two of the areas that that I've come across that um, that he's he's currently working on revising for for a fourth edition of his his book uh are so one one works of the law so the way that works of the law you know is, is understood in the other church uh but the other one is on on justification and the nature of justification and so um if the the way the way his 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 book works uh, as it, you know as it currently stands is the narrative runs that justification is is understood as forensic uh prior to uh basically saint augustine and um Augustine you know of course, you know, Latin, uh reading Greek doesn't understand it correctly, um so reads decayao as you know used to fatura to make righteous, and that's where you get the uh the understanding of justification as as actually making you just or making you righteous the the factative understanding and uh so so and, and that's you know that's appealed to by kind of biblical scholars over the place just because al is so so good that um uh we one just naturally defaults to him. And so you'll see, you know, Tom Wright going and appealing to 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 you know to Alistair and say, well, you know, as Alistair McGrath goes and so, show, shows here, and um and his, I mean I find Alistair's analysis you know elsewhere to be, be really good. The the thing for me is I was as I was writing this, you know, writing this, this dissertation and putting it in a book form and doing all this research, I, I kept coming across instances um, where justification seemed to be understood in the factative sense. And so the, the sense of, you know, of, of, of being made righteous. Um, and all of which, of course, were, you know, were prior to Augustine. And so, you know, I, I come across examples of this, in, you know, Barnabas and Justin and Irenaeus. Um, if you're, you know, thinking of uh, authors who originally, you know, were writing in Greek. And so they're not going to, uh, you know, there's no, there's no, Issue of you know Latin mistranslation or anything like that. It just seems that this is this is the way they're understanding this, and um, and then you can find you know later if you go into you know Chrysostom anybody like that, um, and then of course you know the whole Greek Orthodox tradition following uh, from you know, from Chrysostom understands justification in a factual sense and is, you know of be, being made righteous. Um, but then also I, I stumbled across this in tertullian as well, which is fascinating because uh, having a Latin representative. Uh, who uh, against Marcy in book book five where he's doing his, um, he's 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 basically doing his summary is it's you know basically an early commentary in all the you know Pauline epistles and so he's looking at at Galatians uh, and writing against Marcy and talks about uh, you know be, you know becoming becoming more justified and you look at the Latin there and it's really hard to make sense of it in a strictly forensic sense it it seems as though it's there, there's a factative uh, conception that he's, that he's dealing with. And so I, I went and I basically brought all this to Alistair and said, I, I have no idea what to, what to make of all this. Uh, but because in my mind, I had just followed, you know, what, what I got gotten from him and it, you know, elsewhere that this is, this is a, a strictly a forensic category and I'm running across all this material. It seems like it, it just, it seems like it's, it's a, it's a factative thing. And so he's, he's currently, uh, using the, um, Using the, the primary source material to go and to revise uh, the, the early chapters of Day. but the next project that I've been hoping to work on would be to do um, a what would be a you know a primarily primarily primary source uh, work um, on on justification that looks at the nature of justification specifically in in the earliest you know in in the earliest you know patristic era, and so the basically giving all of the uh, i've just often found uh when you're looking at you know the early church believe this early church believe this it's often very light on footnotes and primary sources and so what i what i would hope to do would be to 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 put out a resource that gives a lot of that primary source material um and the discussions of justification that you have in the later first, second, you know, third centuries and going forward. And to show how you seem to have both the forensic sense, so, you know, being, being vindicated, acquitted, forget, you know, forgiven, declared righteous. Um, but then also the forensic sense as well. Um, the, uh, as, as far as, you know, actually being, being made righteous. And to show how it is that these seem to go go together, and then the third one, which is I mean it f- for me is is a tentative category, but um, which i I keep I keep running into, and I, I think that there's some something here, although I mean don't don't quote me on it quite yet, is uh, is the incorporative element to justification. so justification as placing you inside inside of the body and placing it i mean T- tom wright talks about some of this is there's a, a covenantal sense it goes in justification makes you part of the covenant people um and in passages like you know like first clement 32 uh that one in particular I, it just seems like that is the an incorporative sense to justification as as far as yes yes being forgiven yes being made righteous but fundamentally being placed within the covenant being placed within the body um being made part of god's people that that is um that that's the, the most fundamental sense that you that you have in that text and then of course ties in with you know with with baptism and the the link between justification and baptism and being you know becoming part of of, of god's you know god's family um so that's that's the next work that I, I, I I'm I, you know I'm in the research phase right uh, now and trying to figure that out. it sounds but,
2: like it'll yeah be, be a very helpful book in terms of you know um, problematizing some of these categories that are a little too tidy, you know, and in uh, in, uh, in Pauline theology, right? Yeah,
0: I'm, I mean, I, I hope I hope so because the I mean what I, I mean what I want to do more than anything else. I mean, yeah, it, it, it can it can problematize things, but what I really want to do is I want to I want to create a resource that'll help people because i just i I haven't come across um a resource that looks comprehensively at this early data and just lays lays the sources out to say here is your here's your passages and context for how it is that justification is you know is understood uh you know in the in the earliest you know patristic sources that 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 we have i think that that i think uh, yeah i th- i think I think a resource like that to, no matter what kind of standpoint you're you're coming from um I think that has potential to be to be useful so that you know whether you agree with it whether you you know you disagree whether you think that the early sources understood you know Paul and justification rightly or incorrectly um that you at least have a clear sense of hey this is what the earliest witness yeah absolutely. you what know, well, they, they- what they meant by it.
2: Yeah, the fact is, just uh, just doing good history requires that we look at reception history, right, and that it's it has to be put into the calculus of probability. Right. If, if if you even if you you're trying to figure out what Paul meant, right? Um, looking at what came after and how people understood what Paul meant in the immediate time period, it must be given weight. How much weight is up to to dispute, right? But it must be given weight, and uh, that will be a very valuable project for us. Well, we're running a little bit shy on time, um, so uh, how about we do a couple more speed round questions, and then I'll, I'll give you a final question, and then we'll have to sign out. Yeah. So you ready for a couple more, couple more speed
0: rounds? Yeah, absolutely. All right, do you like to go camping? I theoretically like to go camping. Could I tell you the last time I went camping? Not off the top of my head, but I have had it occur to me that uh, camping is fun. My friend Ryan Suzuki took his family camping a couple, I want to say, was it last year? Just got a tent, went to the local park, and they slept in it, and he said it was really fun. So we've been hoping to, to do it with them at some point, just haven't gotten around to it. All right, uh, are you going to sing me a song right now on the spot? Can you do it? Um, if I was to sing a song, it would probably be the My Little Pony theme song. You because... sing, sing,
2: me, sing it for us, My okay, Little Pony. Let's so, hear it. Uh,
0: it goes, uh, My Little Pony, My Little Pony, and then, oh, gosh, something about friendship and magic. Do you, do you happen to know I... Yes. I
2: should because I also I, I believe on your um, your bio you said you had a four year old four year old girl I have one also. But, um, oh okay, yeah. Somehow we've avi- avoided My Little um, Pony, but um, <laughs> if you can but, continue um, that going, I could probably <laughs> um, probably sing you the theme song of Daniel Tiger. Oh, okay, um, you know uh, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day. It's sort of oh, like oh, themed yeah. off the Mister Rogers. Yeah, right? I remember that. Yeah, I remember, yeah, so yeah, the other yeah Daniel Tiger's into, in at our
0: house. Yeah. The other yeah. big one is, is, uh, is, is the Ninja Turtle theme song has been going around our house a whole lot because, um, while, while our son, our son's name is Raphael, he's not actually named after the Ninja Turtle. Um, but of course, Raphael was also my, my favorite Ninja Turtle and our daughter just sings that Ninja Turtles is the greatest thing in the universe. So she's constantly singing the Ninja Turtle theme song in our house, which is, I think is glorious. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. If you're going to complete a PhD outside of theology, history, or religion, what would the field be? outside of theology history or religion so completely out of religious studies in general so as as an undergraduate um i did political science and international studies and when i moved uh more towards ministry work my my heart was really moved towards 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 yeah towards kind of more more active ministry stuff and um so i don't have the same passion for that that i used to but i still I still find it really interesting and and um, and yeah and really important. So it'd probably it'd probably be something in international international relations, international you know politics, something like that.
2: That's great. All right. So your final question, then uh, you get a, a last parting shot at your audience here. <laughs> if your book is mentioned in a sermon, uh, what do you hope is being taught? Wow.
0: I hope um, I hope that what it's being taught uh, this the sermon. Is actually a sermon on your book, on how. <laughs> how I don't how it think is, that's allowed. I think you don't think uh, you can how, say how, that. Who was a sermon on your book? In uh, talking about how you know what faith is biblically is more than just intellectual assent. Um, it, it's more than you know. I uh, I, I came across uh, I came across Tom Shiner, uh, Shiner's re- review of your of your book, and uh, where he goes and talks about how the um you know uh, what is it the gift of righteousness is something that we receive with an open hand uh, and that we're not bringing anything and, and i think that that's i think that's actually correct i just think that faith biblically is also hanging on to the thing that we receive with an open hand i think that 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 pistis has both sides to it so we receive faith but then we we hold on to it we we hang on to it and that that the fidelity part um or you know allegiance if we want to go that you know that 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 route uh that is that's just fundamental to what it means to to actually really believe and so if you're thinking of i mean if if i try to think of you know how do you how do you make sense of the word you know believe biblically uh, because believe is often relegated to, you know, like Santa Claus and the, the tooth fairy in English. Well, you know, believe can also, you can also use that well if you're thinking of, say, say you're on a basketball team and the coach goes and leaves you in in the fourth quarter and says, hey, I want you to take the shot. You would say, man, the coach really believed in me. Um, there's a sense of if you, if, you, if you take that, then you're getting that robust sense of what it is to actually believe. And so I, I, think, that, I think that what you do... Um, with seeing that how biblically what faith means is more than just a, you know, an intellectual ascent. It, it's it's more than just sort of, a, you know, one-time commitment kind of thing or to say that, you know, I, you know, to, to give the, it's more than a simple profession. It's the receiving with an empty hand, but also hanging on to what God gives us. Um, I think that if, if what I'm doing on works of the law, if it helps as a footnote in that sermon to say that what Paul is is going and trying to uh, to set an antithesis to this isn't saying you know hey works are bad don't you know or working is bad or moral effort is bad that's not fundamentally what he's trying to to problematize is it's it's the issue of, of the Torah and whether we need to continue to to obey the Torah and Paul's answer is no we, we don't because. You know, because Christ actually is the Messiah. He's brought the the new covenant, the new law with him. And if you look back before that, Abraham, he was he was righteous. He was made just. He was justified um, by something more fundamental than that. Then, then you know, before there was any law, before there was even the sign of circumcision, it was because he trusted in God. And if you look at his example in his life, that's the model for us. That's what we're we're meant to be. We're meant to be the people who we place place our hope we place our trust in god and he he holds our allegiance and so if my if my if my uh, if my book is a helpful footnote uh to the sermon which is based actually on your book then i'll be i'll i'll be very 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 glad and i i hope that it has use for folks uh, in that way well you're too kind you're too kind thank thanks so much matthew (laughs) no absolutely just thank thank you for inviting me i really appreciate it
2: yeah you're welcome uh, this is Matthew Bates for OnScript, and I've been talking with Matthew J. Thomas about his new book, Paul's Works of the Law in the Perspective of Second-Century Reception. Uh, it's in the Wundt series, uh, published uh, by Morseybeck 2018. There's a link on our website to the book for purchases, www.onscript.study. Until next time.